Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because, yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, we are all together today. We are here with our really good friend, Annie Kelly. And it's exciting because it's like we know Annie as our dear, dear friend. But sometimes I think we forget how... I don't know. You're just so knowledgeable about all things. Well, first of all, the Bible. You are super knowledgeable about your Bible and great at teaching that. And you also have an actual seminary degree. <laughs> and sometimes I think as friends, we forget that when I'm just asking you advice. I'm like, oh, no, you actually know this stuff. So, Annie, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I love you both dearly. So this is an honor. Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about your life, what it looks like right now, your education, all the things? Yes, yes. Kind of backtracking a little bit. I'm a graduate of the University of Arkansas, Wupig Sui, and I got my degree in communication, minor in religious studies, loved going to school there, still best friends with my girls from there. And then after that, I moved to Fort Worth, Texas and went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, kind of a mouthful, and got my master's in biblical counseling. So that is the last degree that I earned. I'm not a licensed counselor, but just ended up getting all my classes basically geared me towards working in either a private or like ministry sector. And so I worked for a nonprofit and or church for the past five years in some capacity. Now I stay home with our son Shepard, which is so fun, but I've gotten to use my degree really more informally counseling and discipling and mentoring girls really from like middle school to young adult age. And so that's really what I'm passionate about. That's awesome. You're so good at that. Even in like, when I think about that, I, like I said, I forgot you have that degree sometimes, but when I look at your life and the girls that you bring into your home or meet with weekly for coffee and just like really intentionally do life beside, I'm like, oh, that really makes a lot of sense. You're such a good, I don't know, just like a good tool as a friend in everyone's pocket of like, no, you do have a lot of just practical friendship knowledge, but also like with biblical roots. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, guys, this is a treat because Annie is very, very smart. And like Samantha said, I think as our friend and just someone who's in like, I don't know, knows intimate details about my everyday, we don't get to talk about this stuff much. And so it's exciting to get some of horror wisdom and just knowledge in this area. And yeah, we're excited to dive in. So today we are going to be talking about emotions. And Mm -hmm. obviously with Annie's background of just going to seminary and learning a lot about how God created us in our emotions, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, what are some tools that we can used to stay in health with our emotions. We're kind of going to be diving into it. Obviously, as females, we're emotional people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so it'll be good and I'm sure probably challenging for me even personally. So why don't we even just start there, Annie? Why don't you unpack for us a little bit about this thought of health, unhealth in our emotions? I feel like we hear that a lot lately. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's honestly such a hot topic. And it makes sense. It's like, Our culture, for the most part, tells us, you know, feel what you feel. Do you? I mean, all of those things. And it's like, okay, can we come back and pause and say, like, is that actually what we should be doing? Our emotions are real and valid. And I think that they deserve a response. They deserve us to think about them and be aware of them. But they're not always reliable. And I think that's the biggest thing that we see throughout scripture when we come back to it. Jeremiah 17, 9 talks about the heart being deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And I think that's a verse we came back to a lot in my counseling degree because it kind of just goes to show that our emotions are sin impacted and sin impaired. And we'll kind of talk a little bit about this as we go on, but specifically since the fall, which is when sin entered the world, 
our emotions just haven't been the same and neither has our life physically or spiritually. There's just kind of this divide, this severance. And so because of that, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but honestly, we, we like have to have some sort of standard of what is healthy. And if our standard is Jesus, which if you're a Christian, it is, then it's like we're all emotionally unhealthy and we're all broken. And so it kind of puts us in the starting place where it's like, dang, that's like super discouraging. Like, okay, <laughs> our starting point isn't even this place of health. But I think that it's really helpful for me to view it that way and to be like, okay, this just is the reality. And because of that, there's a simple solution. It's not like this overwhelming thing. It's like, yeah, we are emotionally unhealthy without Christ, but the solution is Christ in us. And as believers, that's not even something we we work for or earn. It's just something that is a free gift for us. And so if anything, it's encouraging to me to know like because of the Holy Spirit and because of Christ in us, we can reach a place of healthy emotions. And we can kind of dive into a little bit more of what that looks like, some other places in scripture where we even see people, Jesus, but like other people too, struggling with emotions. That is so, so good. You said so many good things there. I I want to even like back up because I'm like, even the part about if I could remember, because I do think it's so hard when you talk about emotions, especially I'm even thinking about myself, but even thinking about how I often comfort people in their emotions when I say to them like, no, your emotions are real and your emotions are valid. I'm like, okay, I'm not fighting with my mind in that a little bit, but I'm kind of like, okay, that is right, right? Yes, okay. But our emotions are not valid because I do think that's so true. Like our emotions are real. It's something we're like experiencing. Yeah, I may be crazy for experiencing what I'm feeling, but I am feeling that. Yes. And so they are valid, but they're not reliable. And I think that's like so good. I'm going to take that for sure. I was going to say that too. Like, okay, you guys can bounce this back at me, but I was thinking as you were speaking, do you think that – Like a lot of things in church history and just in theology in general, a lot of times we tend to swing to like one extreme or the other. And maybe one of the reasons that a lot of adult humans are walking around in the world right now, like not really understanding how to process emotions in a healthy way is because maybe in the past the church has like really gone, you know, about the heart being deceitful and pushed it down so far where it's like, well, actually you shouldn't feel any emotion or like anything you do start to feel come up to the surface. You just need to find ways to cope and like push that down. Yes. And so now we've almost swung to this like other extreme or our world has, I'm not going to say the church has, but maybe some churches where it's just like, no, feel everything and you really need to trust what you're feeling. And so, yeah, we got to like in everything we talk about on this podcast, what's that kind of middle ground in the two? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that actually Ecclesiastes 7, 18 talks about a man who fears God will avoid all extremes. But that's something that I come back to a lot because I feel like our culture, I even do this, like my personality can tend to like swing in extremes. I I always have to be like, I have to come back to that and be like, why am I operating in this extreme? Is that biblical? But I do definitely agree with you. And I think that's something when I was getting my degree that I really was, it's like a whole nother tangent, so we don't have to go there. But I'm like, there is just this reality to like, again, with standards, it's like, there's even the whole like, there's medical and like non-medical. So like even having to like, get on medicine and things like that. I just think that our culture has gone through so many waves where they say things are acceptable or unacceptable. And I think instead of asking like, hey, what extreme are we in? We have to be able to address each situation differently and kind of just be able to ask harder questions than just like band-aiding an approach that our culture at the time says is correct. Yeah. And I loved what you said about, yeah, if we are calling ourselves Christians, we have to have a standard. And for a Christian, that standard is Jesus. And so what do we see from him in his emotional health and how did he respond with emotion? I think that was just so good because I do think all of us want to cling to 
I don't know, at least for me, obviously as an achiever, I want like a goal. Like this is what I'm striving for. This is what I'm going towards. And I think as a Christian, yeah, that goal is Jesus. My goal is to become more holy and like Jesus in my thoughts, emotions, and actions. And so I think that's so encouraging too. I love that. Yeah. I was going to get to this later, but it kind of fits in now. But we see Jesus like feeling tons of emotions. Like we see him being compassionate with miracles and healings. We see him being happy and like throwing parties and like talking about the Beatitudes and, you know, Matthew. And we see sadness with Lazarus' death. And like also when other people are sad, we see him like respond in sadness. We see him get angry with mainly with religious leaders and like people who are being hypocritical. But this is like righteous anger. So we see him like experiencing all these emotions, but like without sinning. We even see him suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane at the very end of like almost his life, we see him like crying and in agony and almost telling God like, hey, I will do this. I'll be obedient. But is there any other way? And so it really helps to like see all of these things and then to see like the response of them of like, hey, Jesus response, like compassion led him to action and sadness led him to grieve with others well. And his anger was righteous, but like he didn't sin. And then I think about like other responses either in scripture or in our own life to those things and it's like anger has like leads to murder a lot in the bible or like you know just times where like and sadness leads to like depression or like wanting to end your life like there's just all these other examples with some characters that we'll talk about later but then we see that panned against jesus and his response and that's what i find like super encouraging it's not that god like isn't personal and doesn't understand like we have a God who understands us and who has fully felt everything that we feel, but it's his response that keys us into like what that can look like for us to be healthy in our emotions. I think That's we so just good. Need to sit in that for a second. Yes. That is really, really good. Guys, don't worry. We'll have Annie back on again because for everyone's sure. going to be like, we'll have her Stop. on again. She was good. <laughs> okay. So we were kind of talking about the idea of health and unhealth in our emotions. So what are some common sim patterns or themes we see with emotions when we feel certain ways and how should we kind of like combat some of those common emotional patterns with what the Bible actually says. Totally. So honestly, I know that I'm like referring back to like the fall or like the beginning of the Bible a lot, but Genesis one through three are some of my like favorite chapters ever. So I'm going to take just like a second and kind of get into the weeds a little bit with these chapters. But for some context, Genesis one through three shares the narrative of creation and the narrative of the fall. And like I mentioned, that's God creating the earth, it being holy and perfect and man dwelling with God and then fall happening, which we're going to dive into like how this happens, but sin entering the world. And because of that, there being consequences and brokenness and just implications that have forever changed our life as humans, but also the earth. So good news, the gospel and God's plan for reconciliation hinge on Genesis 3 and the rebellion of man. But bad news, things will never be the same and haven't been. So here's kind of the details that I want to like sit in that kind of tie back to this question. But the serpent's tactic here is doubt. And so in the garden, they're dwelling, there's this serpent and he's like, you know, doesn't want them to dwell with God. And so if you're just reading through it, you hear the serpent say, did God actually say dot, dot, dot. And here he's just talking about like, hey, did God actually say you can't eat this fruit? But the response is that it causes really Eve to doubt. We see Eve say, this fruit's a delight to my eyes and it's desired to make one wise, aka like God. And so she took the fruit and she ate of it. She wasn't satisfied. And so honestly, even from just the very beginning, this is like one of the first interactions we see with women. There is just this sense of insecurity and pride. First, it's did God actually say, which causes doubt and insecurity. And then the second is like desiring something more than what we have or like wanting to be like God and this pride in that. So I think that 
if I had to boil things down, like not even just from here in scripture, but I think enslaving sins of women come down to those two extremes of pride and insecurity. But I think those can manifest themselves in like tons of ways. I was just trying to think through like comparison, perfectionism, jealousy, gossip, materialism, body image. All of those things come back to either insecurity or pride. So I just think it's funny to like be able to go all the way back to the beginning and be like, this is where not only as like humans, we were created in God's image and like what that was meant to look like, how the falls impacted that. But then specifically as women, like where we started from, where we came from, how like how sin entered the world even is so cluing into like what emotional unhealth can do to us in our lives. And because of that, that like just will be the case now that sin has entered the world, like we will even in the like the curses from Genesis, there's things that there's implications of us like wanting to control or rule. Like there's just so much packed into I could talk about it seriously forever. But I kind of wanted to keep with it, sticking with Genesis. In Genesis 4, we actually see that we have emotion. And I think this is like literally the first time where it's like Cain is angry. And so there's this guy, he's angry. His brother Abel brought the better offering and Cain ends up murdering him. But before that, we see God's response to emotion. And so this is the first time we really kind of see this. I mean, we see that in the garden, but we see God's response to Cain's emotion and anger. And he says, sin is crouching at your door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. And I think that's really telling because it says like, we're responsible to God despite our feelings. So from this point on, like God has made it clear, like you're going to have emotions, but he's like, Cain, what are you going to do about it? And obviously like, Cain murders his brother, so he didn't really take it to heart. But I think that there's a lot of places in scripture that offer just examples of like real emotions, real mental health. I kind of mentioned some of these earlier, but like Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And then a chapter later, he's depressed and wishing he would die. Jonah wishes he would die. David lusts after Bathsheba and then kills her husband. We see like these intense emotions. We see the book of Job and then like not even with Job himself, but with like his wife and friends, we see them counseling poorly on emotions. We see Martha anxious and distracted. Like there's just all of these times where I'm like, yeah, our emotions are so real. And I hope that if anything, people hear that, that it's like not wrong. Like you having emotions is never what is wrong. It's how you choose to respond that can be unhealthy or healthy or sinful or not. That's good. That was a lot. And I love hearing it all. But what I'm hearing from all of that, that I think I know, but I think, again, said so many good things that we need to kind of sit in for a second of like, Whatever emotions we have, we are still responsible and held accountable. I don't know why that feels so earth-shattering to me right now. Like, yes, I know that, but I don't think we hear that enough preached of like, I think we all use our emotions as an excuse for a lot of behaviors in our life. I do, in my marriage, in my friendships, and we kind of got to backtrack a little bit and be like, no, but sure, there can be grace for that, but you still have to take account for what you did acting out of that emotion. And so I don't know. I think that has to be something we all sit on for a while because it just could be life-changing if we decided to take that and like do something different with it. Yeah, I always come back to the phrase like our emotion should be a gauge, not a guide. And so like they are very telling into like where we are at personally, like self-awareness, all of those things, but it shouldn't be the guiding factor in like us making decisions or our response and things. Yeah. Again, even as you went through all those examples, I'm like, oh gosh, well, I am comforted because I don't feel so crazy for feeling yeah. anxious or I don't feel so crazy for being angry or whatever. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I I don't think I've ever like thought about that verse in Genesis 4 about Cain. And I'm like, wow, that's so true. Like he's literally saying like, well, these emotions are here. What are you going to do with yeah. it? And so I'm like, if I actually took a step back when I was yeah, feeling anxious or feeling angry and I said, okay, let me give myself a second because like this is fine and like normal. 
But like, what am I going to do with it? And I think even just that little tool, that's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. And I think one last thing that's like really empowering to me, that's all like mainly from the Old Testament, most of what I said. But I think something that's so crazy, like this seriously, when I heard this, I just still am like shook every time I think about it. But all the way throughout the Old Testament, really all the way until Acts 2, the way that people make decisions as they like cast lots, essentially like flip a coin or like roll a dice. And that's their way of figuring out like, you know, what God wants them to do, etc. And so the last time that we see this happening is in Acts 1 when they're trying to replace Judas as a disciple. And so it's like, what changes? You know, like Acts 2, all of a sudden there's like no casting lots ever again. It's like very weird. But what happens is in Acts 2, we're given the Holy Spirit. And so this is just earth shattering to me because like we don't have to cast lots anymore. Like we are empowered and capable and able to make decisions that are honoring to God without just having to be like, oh, like, what's this dice going to tell me? And so that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that leads us to emotional health and it's capable of doing that. Like, we don't need all of these, like, earthly tools to make decisions. We have Christ in us able to help us do that now. You don't have to go sit across from someone reading your aura (laughs) or telling you your (laughs) future tarot cards. And (laughs) even though I do see why that's, like, tempting for people because we all do kind of want to know. Like, we want to feel reassured in decisions we're making. But you're right. Like, when we do have that relationship with God and then thus the Holy Spirit, it's like we don't have to feel insecure in decisions we make if we know we're seeking Him in those. Totally. So that that gives me a lot of reassurance. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue into, so like any taking all of that, obviously, like so good, so much like truth just from actual like examples of what we see in the Bible and what we see in Jesus's life. But how do you encourage someone who is feeling like that? What do you do with that? So obviously, yes, Holy Spirit empowers us to do so and gives us the capability to discern and use wisdom. But like, what do we do with that? What does that look like? Yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of it just comes back to you have to like hear, like Christian even mentioned this earlier, like you have to validate what people are feeling and to be like, hey, it's okay that you're sad. Like you can never just like start offering solutions to somebody who is experiencing different emotions. I think that it comes down to being able to meet them where they're at. And so being able to be like, hey, hear what you're saying. But then there's like the second part of it it, that looks like just providing hope. And I think that Scripture really is so like black and white. It's funny because I think that we think there are definitely gray areas, but it's like at the end of the day, like you're either honoring God or you're honoring self. Like there's so many things where it's like there's really just one of two camps. And so even when I'm thinking about hope, I'm like, okay, you're either offering true hope or false hope. And a lot of times it's easier to offer false hope. Like there's so many friendships where it would be easier to just be like, yeah, like sorry, you're feeling that way. That girl like totally does suck, you know, but it's like, that's not honoring. It's like, that's condoning gossip or, you know, destroying friendships. It's like, okay, what does true hope look like? True hope does look like knowing, hey, we're all sinful. There's going to be relationships and friendships that are hard. And I'm so sorry you're experiencing that. Can I challenge you to go talk to them about this within the next 24 hours instead of talking to me, you know, of like, and that's just like a kind of random example. I think that if you have to boil down like every emotional interaction, what brings the most hope is the gospel and the implications of the gospel. So knowing like, hey, because you believe this, let's talk about what it looks like to think biblically. And so I'd say point one, teach people to think biblically about the specific situation or God's character or the possibilities for good that can come from that. And even just the narrative, like being able to correct, like if they're saying, I just feel like I can't do this anymore, being able to be like, hey, I really want to challenge you with the narrative you're like framing for yourself because it's not one that's giving yourself any hope. And so I think that we need to like take a step back and reframe this. 
So yeah, teach people to think biblically. I think number two, provide godly examples. So this could be like testimonies, your testimony, like other people's testimony, not like a gossipy way. This could be examples from scripture. And then number three, I think presence is like huge. So just being able to be with people, I think especially in like times of grief, knowing that like there's not a time limit on grief. So what does it look like to continue to be with people, whether that's like one month after something happens or like a year? And then four, prayer. And then five, like practical needs. So those five things can just apply to like any situation with emotions of coming back to like, is there a practical need that can be met? How can I be present? How can I be praying? How do I provide godly examples for them? And how do I teach them to think biblically? Those are good. I love what you said, the first piece, because we're definitely talking about the emotion part, but I really struggle with going right to that, like jumping over the empathy a lot of times and like starting to point them to truth. And so I do think that's such an important piece because I do think there's a sense of like human nature, whether right or wrong, where our brains are going to shut down if you're expressing to someone these deep feelings and they're just going straight to like, okay, well, here's what God wants you to do about it. And I really struggle with that personally, like where I'm that person that's just like, okay, but look here, it's not that bad. X, Y, and Z, God, or, you know, whatever. Maybe a lot of times it is really good truth that they need to hear, but I'm going about it totally wrong because I'm not sitting with them in that first. And so I love that you said that too. Like, yeah, acknowledge those emotions that they are real, but then like when it's necessary, like then be able to start going through all those other things. Yes. See, it's a good thing we have Annie in this conversation (laughs) too, because I was like, oh my gosh, I was thinking the same thing. I was sitting there thinking, gosh, that's so good. You just gave us like five different like actual things to do. And so often do I try to like combine all of those into one conversation. And I don't actually say like, no, like there can be many times that I'm with someone and I'm going to sit with them for the next like four times I'm with them. And then maybe on the fifth time I hang out with them, then we're going to talk about like the true hope. And then maybe like months down the road, we're still back to just sitting together and praying together. And so I'm like, this is kind of like a long game and it's not something that, yeah, we can just like put a bandaid on it and fix it because we are broken humans. We are finite humans, we're going to come back probably to the same emotions multiple times. And so, yeah, I was so encouraged. That was good. And I love that that you said that too, Christian. I think that sometimes it's even helpful to even ask the person that like there's times where I have even like recently, honestly, I've experienced a lot of friends like grieving or just going through hard things where I've had to be like, hey, can you let me know what you need? Like, do you want to talk about this or do you want to like go get ice cream or do you, you know, like being able to be like, I actually maybe don't know the best way to care for you. And so I'm like going to humbly ask you to like, let me know what is the time and place for, you know, this right now. Yeah. And being bold enough if you're the person on the other side to be able to say that because people can't read our minds. So a lot of times I think we get annoyed or frustrated in conversations, but it's like, but they're just trying to be a good friend. So to be able to say like, hey, I'm telling you this, I kind of just need to like, I want you to know it, maybe take it and pray for me in it, but I don't need to like hear anything right now. I don't want to dive into it. I don't want to break it down. So that's good. So, you know, we've discussed a lot through this conversation and there's so much good stuff. I know. I agree. We're going to probably have to have you back on. But what are some good just takeaways, just emotional takeaways that we can throughout our week? We always have, whether they're big or small things, things that we're dealing with. And so what can we take tangibly even for this week? Yeah, definitely. I have a few like favorite just I don't know, one-liners, I guess you could say. So I'll kind of just, most of them are pretty self-explanatory, but if not, I'll try and like add on. But I think some good things to just remember, especially when it comes to emotions. The first one is be biblical, not emotional. And I come back to that one and be biblical, not emotional and respond, not react. And I come back to both of those, like specifically in my marriage. I feel like there's a lot of times where like, I honestly can tend to like 
respond emotionally or want to like choose anger or like kind of be short tempered. And both of those things have been like pivotal for my marriage of being like, okay, how do I not react, which would involve emotions, but instead like pause and respond. And same with biblically of like, hey, how do I be biblical instead of just jumping to like impulsively following whatever my emotions are telling me? And then another one that has really helped me in my marriage too is seek to understand, not be understood. And I think this is huge because so many times in whether it is in marriage or in friendship, whatever it is, we often just have one goal in mind of like, I'm right. I need to be understood. And something shifts when we're able to go into conflict or conversation and be like, hey, can you help me understand you better? And when we genuinely mean that, it normally leads to compromise. It normally leads to us being able to be like, okay, I'm not like the only party here. My way is not like the only right way. And so that is super helpful for me. That one's crazy to me because we've all experienced the like deep like pain of like needing someone to understand what you're like saying or what you're feeling so badly and like how frustrating that is when someone else doesn't get that you know yes but then yeah maybe we need to get over that and see what they're feeling totally Mm -hmm. and I love that even going back to the very beginning of our conversation when you said like you know most of our emotion is going to come out of like insecurity or pride right there I think that's so much pride yes in just the thought of like, no, I, I want to be understood because I want you to see that I was right too. For sure. And I'm like, no, that's literally all pride. Like yes. all you're trying to do is like achieve that you are right. yeah. prideful in that yeah. and boast yourself. Yeah. So I'm like, oh shoot, that's convicting. And when you get so <laughs> fixated on that, like honestly, you can get nowhere in any type of conflict if that's your viewpoint because you're just not going to be able to be persuaded. Okay. A few more, I think assume the best. And I see this a lot and just honestly in friendships, I see this a lot of like, what does it look like to be a good friend? It's like always assuming the best. So it's like even something, if someone doesn't text me back for a little bit, or maybe they're like, text seems like it has some tone instead of being like, oh my gosh, they hate me. Like I did something terrible. Assuming the best and being like, until I need to like assume otherwise or they like tell me something I'm gonna always assume like hey we're good I'm gonna assume the best in them even if I like maybe heard something I'm gonna be like okay I'm gonna trust them and I think we as humans often just yeah we assume the worst and we're like okay this is malicious or like whatever the case but that has been transformative for my friendships there could be a whole episode about that. Yeah. We're just going to oh, leave that so right there. <laughs> Please take that so in. Yeah. Good. And I honestly think just some last few things I'll leave you with. Obedience is not determined by outcome. And so I think even with our emotions, knowing that when you're obedient to them, that doesn't mean that everything's going to like work out okay. Like Job, for example, it's like he was obedient, but like still was going through so many things. So even you being obedient to your emotions and surrendering those and being biblical in them doesn't mean like that X situation in your life is going to magically disappear. So I have to come back to that because I think sometimes we can think like, yeah, prosperity gospel or like, oh, if I am doing all these things right, then everything's going to go perfectly. But it's like, that's not true. So just coming back to that. And then lastly, just like seek godly counsel when necessary, knowing that there's things that, yeah, you can run to scripture, but there comes a point too where it's like you do need godly counsel in your life from friends or if that's a small group or reaching out to your church, whatever that looks like for you, knowing that when you reach a point where you feel like you need to invite someone else in to do that and to not be ashamed of it, that that's like one of the most helpful things is being able to like partner with the body of Christ and be encouraged and given hope when maybe you like feel like you can't offer that for yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, that's so good. Annie, thank you so much for just sharing all of that. I think one thing I want to make sure to do is all of the verses and just the biblical context that you've shared today. I want to make sure that all of us can reference back to that. Again, even talking about being biblical and not emotional. Step one is just reading your Bible and getting in the Word and knowing what God's Word says about these things. So we'll make sure to put all of those in our show notes so that you guys can refer back to that and do your own study of just what the Bible does say about these areas. Yeah. And if you want to share any place, I know there's been seasons of your life where you've been blogging a lot and being able to teach kind of through maybe Instagram or so share with everyone where they can follow you. So I'm sure people want to like follow along with all of your teaching. Okay. Sounds great. Thank y'all so much for having me. Yes. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at going there, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.